Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning. Good morning. It's the seventh of February, twenty twenty-three, which means that. I realize that Valentine's Day is a week away because today is the 7th. And so, I don't know, maybe that's like really important information for you if you have not yet made a plan. <clears throat> Jim, if you're listening. Um, so, good morning. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day here on the Faith Radio Network comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. So... Uh, First of all, let me just warn you in advance. These are some sobering verses, particularly uh, the way this begins. So where are you in the word today? Um, It's a paramount importance that we be in the word of God before we get out there into the world that God so loves so that we can um, operate in the world in ways that honor Jesus. So where in the word are you today? I'm in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Wow, Uh, the lead off there. The end of the world is coming soon. I have um, seen the guy with that poster, actually on a corner, not far from where I live. The end of the world is coming soon. 1 Peter 4, 7. Um, the end of the world, the end of the world as we know it, and the end of the material world. Um, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Read the book of Revelation. Um, read Matthew chapter 24. Read the proclamations um, of the Lord himself related to the end of the world. The end of the world is coming. Soon, says Peter. Now, Peter wrote this 2,000 years ago now. And so what is the meaning of the word soon? Well, Jesus says it's actually not for us to know exactly when the end will come, but we are to be prepared for it to come today, Uh, literally in the next moment. Like, are we prepared for the return of Christ? We confess that we believe that he's coming again to judge the living and the dead, but do we actually live with the moment-by-moment expectation that today could be that day. The end of the world is coming soon. If you believe that, and if you live as if that's true, then how do you live? Well, Peter says, therefore, therefore, with view to the reality that the end of the world is coming soon, with that in view, be earnest in your prayers. Be disciplined in your prayers. And most important of all, Continue to show deep love for each other. Why? Because, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. So this does not mean 
that we are at liberty or free to just sin against other Christians because, well, other Christians have been commanded to love us. What it says is we are to love those who sin against us with a view not to the times in which we live, which are certainly full of sin, but with a view to the shortness of the time left on the proverbial clock. So this is one of those verses that's good to have Uh, on hand and in heart when people refer to the so-called doomsday clock or to the headlines where we read of wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, floods, famines, fire, when we hear that nation is rising up against nation or kingdom against kingdom, Jesus likens these in Matthew 24 to the birth pains or to the early contractions that alert a woman that the time for deliverance is near. Jesus goes on to say there in Matthew 24, Um, in that instruction to his disciples, that, quote, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by everyone all around you because of me. At that time, many people are going to turn away from the faith and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, Peter, the writer of this letter, of 1 Peter, from which we get our verses today, Peter heard Jesus say that. Peter heard Jesus say in the flesh, in real time, that the day would come as the end of the world drew near, that believers would be handed over and persecuted unto death. They would be hated, Uh, that there would be many who would turn away from the faith and betray each other, that false prophets would arrive and deceive people, that there would be an increase of wickedness, and that because of that, the love of most would grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end would be saved. That is what Peter is reflecting here in his letter. Peter is saying, hey, I heard Jesus say, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most would grow cold, And that's the reality that I want to address today. The end of the world is coming soon. Focus on prayer. Be earnest and disciplined in prayer. And most importantly, continue to show deep love for each other. The temptation is going to be to focus on the chaos, the degradation, the wickedness, the bad news, and to let love grow cold. But Peter and Jesus encourage us today to stand in love to the end, because soon and very soon, we're going to meet the Lord. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. Dr. Mark Caleb Smith is back with us this morning from Cedarville University. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm well. Are you having a State of the Union watch party? Is that a thing? <laughs> I'm sure it is a thing in some places. I, I do not think I will be having a watch party tonight, at least not as of yet. Uh, neither will I. All right, let's um, let's talk about some political headlines and see if we can bring the mind of Christ to bear on these things. There are some calendar changes coming Iowa is no longer going to be 
first, or maybe New Hampshire. Neither Iowa nor New Hampshire are going to be first in terms of um, how the Democrats are going to hold their primaries. Tell us about that. So this is actually a, a really big story, I think, that's probably being underreported and, and and really not very well understood. Um, the primary process is uh, complicated and it is probably not very well known to most people. You know, they know they have a presidential primary. They can show up in and vote at some point in their state. Um, the way that it works is it's it's really been handed down to us about 50 years ago. Um, some reforms were put in place. The Democratic Party was leading on those reforms. And they decided to have Iowa and New Hampshire sort of kick off this new process. And they've been in this exalted position for quite some time. Republicans also put Iowa and New Hampshire in this exalted position. And the real issue, I think, is should these two states uh, that really don't necessarily look all that much like America when we really get down to it, um, should they have a disproportionate influence on which person we choose and which party to run in the presidency? And Joe Biden and the Democratic Party right now is basically saying, you know what, I think we've had enough. Uh, we don't really want Iowa, New Hampshire at the forefront of our nomination process. Instead, we want to move South Carolina uh, up into the order to the beginning. I think for good reason for the Democrats, you know, South Carolina has way more African-American voters African-Americans are pivotal to the Democratic Party, and this is their way to bring them forward in the process. And of course, it's not an accident. Joe Biden did very poorly in Iowa in, in 2020. He did very poorly in New Hampshire in 2020, uh, but he won South Carolina, and that was the turning point of the primary election for him. And so uh, it, it makes a lot of sense for the Democrats to do this. And I think if it happens, which it still may not, I think it's probably a good reform. Um, I expect a big announcement from South Carolina, from a person in South Carolina this week. Um, I expect Nikki Haley to announce that uh, she is putting her name in to run as uh, yep. a candidate. Um, that'll be an interesting conversation uh, to have once that happens. Um, I'd like to I'd like to tee that up for a conversation in the future because I think Nikki Haley is a very very interesting. Um, potential candidate. But let's talk about George Santos. Um, all right. He, he's just a profoundly unethical human being. Um, and, and he completely fabricated um, a backstory in, in terms of running for the seat that he now holds in the U.S. Congress. Um, and one of the things that uh, one of the lies that he told is that he's Jewish. Well, now he has suggested that all people are Jewish, quote, because Jesus Christ is Jewish. Um, this is this seems like a good place to connect the dots between faith and public life. <laughs> uh, George Santos is the gift that keeps on giving, I guess, in some ways. Um, you just never know what's going to come out of his mouth. <clears throat> and as you said, I think profoundly unethical is probably the best way to describe uh, his approach to public life. And in that sense, it's just not something that I think is tolerable for a person of faith uh, to be supportive of. But this claim that somehow uh, because Christ was Jewish, we're all Jewish, you know, I, I don't know how else to describe it other than just it's it's silly. It's just silliness. Um, even as, as children of Christ, as followers of Christ, uh, we do not become Jews in any, in any kind of sense at all. Um, we're Gentiles. You know, most of us are Gentiles. And uh, obviously we could still come to faith in spite of our Gentile status, which is one of the 
revolutionary movements in the New Testament and in the history of the early church. And so uh, I think he's just a profoundly confused man who sometimes has, uh, he needs to say things, and I'm not sure he always know why he needs to say things, and things just come out of his mouth, and most of them are just simply not true. And it's it's a bit of a tragedy, I think, that someone like him is representing uh, us in Congress, and hopefully it'll be a, a short-term affair with Mr. Santos. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to return to our conversation with Mark Caleb Smith in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio, tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, Thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. It don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. Do I, 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 Continuing our conversation with Dr. Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. Uh, Mark, you and I have both read um, a piece um, in Vox. Um, or actually, actually, this is this one from is from uh, is from Oxford. All right, so life in a violent country can be years shorter and much less predictable, even for those not involved in conflict. Um, how detrimental is it to us to live in a place um, where there is no peace, where conflict rules the day? And let's juxtapose that uh, against you know God's plan that we would live at peace with one another um, in a, in a, in a place of flourishing. Yeah, it's a really interesting study put out by Oxford uh, that examined lifespans of people uh, who are found in these violent conflict areas. And the data are, are fascinating. I think, you know, as you said, we would expect that there to be shortened lifespans just because of the violent nature of the place. And so uh, there obviously are a good number of deaths and that's going to reduce the numbers um, across the board. But what they found is that even for people who are not killed in the process, uh, their lifespans were shortened by as much as up to 14 years uh, compared to other similar situations before the violence began. And they refer to this, I think, in a, in a really interesting term as lifetime uncertainty. And the stress that lifetime uncertainty has on just your day-to-day existence And so in a normal, peaceful situation, you have a certain expectation that you're going to live 80, 75, 80, 85 years. Um, And even though you may not, it's just sort of covers your life and you sort of look forward and you think through what what might happen over the next 10, 20, 30, 40, or 50 years and you plan for that. But in an environment where you have this lifetime uncertainty, um, all those plans go out the window. And you don't know what's going to take place. And you don't know who's going to live and who's going to die. Uh, Food becomes more difficult to get. Poverty becomes more of a day-to-day issue. People become more vulnerable and unstable in their existence. And this affects their lifespan dramatically. And, you know, it really puts into focus, I think, uh, places like Ukraine and what they're going through right now. The horrific violence is one thing. 
but the ripple effects of this throughout the entire society are going to be felt for quite a long time. We had a conversation um, at our house last night uh, anticipating the State of the Union address tonight, and it's really easy, Mark, to come up with the laundry list of things we don't like about the way things are working in our own country. Um, And then the observation was made uh, because we were having a conversation about the southern border. (laughs) And in that context, the conversation was made, hey, if things are so bad here, if the State of the Union here in the United States is so bad, why do millions and millions of people press themselves um, against all odds to come here. Like, obviously, the opportunity for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and their sense of uh, a, a form of government that still provides a relative peace and safety in which to seek that, it's still greater here than in at least 150 countries around the world because that's the number of countries from which people have presented themselves at the southern border. Like, things are, as bad as we might think things are here, How much worse are they around the world that people are abandoning everything that they know, their language of origin, their country of birth in order to come to this one? Yeah, I think we all we all have a lack of perspective when it comes to uh, our government and our daily lives in many ways. And as you and I have talked before, I mean, there are people who profit and who benefit from uh, creating this lack of perspective. And so if you can uh, sow in people these these fears of what their day-to-day existence may be like, and the fact that there are these dark, evil forces lurking everywhere trying to take away their basic rights and their basic liberties, um, it creates an impression of reality, I think, that's just sometimes false. And so many people are convinced they live in a difficult society. But as you said, I think the reality is that we live in a very peaceful, prosperous society not perfect by any means <clears throat> and certainly we have our challenges ahead of us and we are in the middle of a serious cultural conflict i think in our country uh, but when you take a step back and think through how we've been blessed um, and what it's like to live in a relatively peaceful prosperous nation uh, we are indeed incredibly fortunate no question um talk with us a little bit about uh, the process of amending the constitution and who thinks the Constitution should be amended and in what ways? Yeah, a really interesting uh, article recently in the Washington Post uh, about a group of uh, legal scholars who got together, uh, some conservatives, some libertarians, some progressives, and started to discuss amongst themselves possible amendments to the U.S. Constitution. And what they found out is there was a, a pretty broad consensus amongst the group that uh, some basic things could be changed in the Constitution Uh, And they would be beneficial for all the country. And I think some of these things actually have a really good chance of happening. Uh, Who knows when? Uh, But I think some of them are really good ideas. Uh, One of them uh, is to give Congress what's called the legislative veto so that uh, through a simple majority vote in the House, the Senate, they can overturn acts of the executive branch or the administrative agencies uh, that work in the executive branch. Uh, Congress had that legislative veto for some time, and the Supreme Court struck it down uh, in the 1980s, if I recall correctly. Uh, but I think giving them that kind of a legislative veto would actually be very good for the country. Um, they want to uh, they want to amend potentially how we impeach presidents. They want to make it a little bit harder to impeach a president, but a little bit easier to remove the president once the president's impeached. The goal there is to get rid of partisan impeachments where if you just have a simple majority in the House, you can impeach the president. 
but to also if a president's worth impeaching make it a little bit easier to remove them on the back end so that punishment is more effective so i i think i think there are lots of good things that they're putting forward here uh good ideas but as you know your question assumes that the constitution is amendable well the constitution is really difficult to amend you know the way that it's constructed right now um you have to have uh two-thirds of congress and then three-fourths of states go along with a constitutional amendment and that makes it extremely difficult uh, to change our document you know one study says our documents that one of the least amended constitutions in the world i think it's because those standards are just really really tough all right, good uh, good conversation this morning on the text line. Keep your questions and comments coming, 877-933-2484. One of the people who is on the text line every single day is named Bob Castro. He's actually in the studio listening with a pair of headphones on now, so I'm going to bring him on in just a moment and chat with him about why he listens. Um, Mark Caleb Smith, as always, thank you so much for helping us bring the mind of Christ to bear on the political headlines of the day. We genuinely appreciate it. Always a pleasure, Carmen. Thanks to you and your listeners, and I'll talk to you again soon. That sounds great. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's go upwards with Max Lucado. Bob Castro is in the studio today. He's normally on the text line. He's a super active listener um, to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Carmen. It's really fun to be in the studio. Yeah, so you have a pair of headphones on. You're there with Paul Perot. You're um, you're watching and listening what is happening. Um, why do you listen to... Well, first of all, tell people a little bit about yourself, and then why do you listen to Mornings with Carmen? Uh, I am a pastor and currently live in South Central Wisconsin. I was a trial lawyer for 13 years before becoming a pastor. And after becoming a pastor, I got my doctorate degree in preaching. Um, I listened to, I listened to uh, Mornings with Carmen because not only do you share such a wealth of information but you take on such difficult topics with such a balanced approach that I really, I always appreciate that. Well, first of all, thank you for the compliment and for the time we get to spend together each and every day. Uh, one of the things I genuinely appreciate about you is you, um, you're like this um, uh, library. You're like an instant access library that I don't even have to go to because you share uh, you share all kinds of great quotes, often C.S. Lewis quotes, um, with me on the text line that are always relevant to whatever we're talking about. So this ability to um, bring Christian content to bear on what's happening in in the culture that's also kind of your thing. Like you love to do that. Um, youth. And reaching youth is your passion. I want to talk with you a little bit more about that in the second hour. But I just wanted to let folks know that you are in studio with a pair of head uh, headphones on, and um, and that you know this is uh, this is how it works in real life. And so, thank you uh, so much, Bob, for being with us today. Thank you for the invite. Psalm thirty four invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. So it's taste and see Tuesday here on Mornings with Carmen. Um, I want us to savor the Savior. We're going to talk with Kendall Vanderslice. She's a baker, and her book is By Bread Alone, a baker's reflection on hunger, longing, and the goodness of God. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good today. 
really fun I promise you in advance because we're going to talk with Kendall Vanderslice. She is uh, a baker. She's a sister in Christ. Um, She's a theologian. She's an author. She does workshops on this this topic of uh, what what is bread making and how can it be a spiritual practice. Yeah, I'm pretty jazzed about this. The book is By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on hunger, longing, and the goodness of God. Kendall, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. So I, uh, just to let you know, I grew up with a mom who was uh, a home economics person, and she did this thing at the county fair where she had thousands of people making bread in a bag. Amazing. Like, I, I don't know if I've seen that before. I know. So I uh, I intend to uh, connect you with my 84-year-old mom and uh, let her teach you the bread in the bag method so that you I can... I would love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so much fun because, you know, you can make the bread and not get your hands totally dirty and still go back to the fair. And while yeah. you're at the other fair activities, like it's rising in the bag and then when you get home, you bake it. Mm-hmm. Oh, there that's so cool. I know. There you go. Um, all right. I I want to talk with you about By Bread Alone, which is the book we're discussing today. But I'd like to take a step back from that and um and just have you make the connection for us um we don't live by bread alone but by every word that comes from the mouth of god talk with us about the connection between yeah. what we put in our mouths and uh and the word of god and who we are as his people yeah so i love to connect um this passage from you know the story of the temptations of jesus um to the gospel of john um where jesus says first that jesus is the word that was present with god in the beginning and jesus also is the bread of life um so when jesus says that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god jesus is both the word that proceeds from the mouth of god and also the bread that we place in our own mouths, on our tongues, so that we know God's nearness on our tongues, in our bellies, in this very, very tangible form. Um, And so I... To me, that's that's why I sort of wanted the title to be by, by Bread Alone, playing on that idea that we don't live by bread alone, we live by every word, but Jesus himself is both the word and the bread. You also... um help us see, not only in this book, but in other things that you've written, um, that Christ is made known among us in the breaking of the bread. Can you reflect yeah. on on that for a moment? Yeah, absolutely. So the, you know, for me, the connections really began. I'm a professionally trained baker, and I would rush from my job at the bakery to church every Sunday. And so I would go and receive communion every week with bread dough still stuck to my arms. Um, And it really started to make me think, what is the connection between this bread that I'm baking all morning, and this bread that I'm consuming in church every Sunday? Um, And that is kind of where where my sort of theological journey began. Um, but I think it is so significant that of all the things that Jesus could have given us as kind of this marker of Jesus' death and resurrection, and as this um, practice of the church, he gave us a meal. He gave us specifically a meal of bread and the cup. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that that bread is significant in and of itself of just the materiality of bread reflects so much about the nature and character of God. Okay, so talk with us about the Edible Theology Project and dinner churches. 
Because yes. I, I think that if people <laughs> if people could embrace this, like it could really transform how we think about church, who we are Absolutely. as people at a shared table. So yeah, introduce us to these ideas. Yeah, so the Edible Theology Project is um, an educational nonprofit that I began. Um, our goal is to help people connect the communion table to the tables that we eat at all throughout the week. Um, and so we do that. We have two kind of main ways. We have um, a podcast called Kitchen Meditations, but uh, even better, my favorite way is our curriculum called Worship at the Table where we, um, it's designed for a kind of a church small group or a book club or, or anything like that. And it's designed for you to walk through the role of meals and food in the story of scripture, and then to identify the ways that meals and the table have shaped you and your own life. And then to imagine together how you can use the table in your church and in your home as a method of building community, of um, facilitating hard conversations about the topics that we don't really like to talk about. Um, because I see all of that being tied up in what um, the, the role that the communion table is meant to serve in the church, um, that it is a meal that tells a story of Christ's death and resurrection, but it is also a very practical tool to build community and to guide us into the hard conversations that make us one body in the body and the bread of Christ. We're talking with Kendall Vanderslice. Um, you can find what we're talking about today, which is By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God but also lots of other resources like the Edible Theology Project um, at Kendall's website, kendallvanderslice.com. I'll also put all of the individual links in our show notes today, um, which you can get wherever you download this show as a podcast or later today at myfaithradio.com. Um, uh, Kendall, first of all, thank you for the way you bring this forward in conversation in a way that is is so delightful and inviting. I think that the gift of hospitality is clearly yours. And so um, thank you for that. Thank you for not just, um, you know, like providing the feast, but setting the table because oh, that's, thank you. that's just a huge part of this. Um, so one of the things that, uh, that comes up a lot in, in this conversation um, is the word community. How do we mm -hmm. sit down and break bread together at table? How is Christ made known in the breaking of that bread? Um, and these conversations related to like who gets to come to the table um, or who yeah. is at our table. Can you can you wander around a little bit in that conversation? Yeah, I mean, it is, you know, it is so hard to um, to to set tables well. <laughs> um, you know, tables can be, they can be this incredible source of building community and they can also be a source of breaking down community. And so being sort of closely aware of, of who is present, who feels safe, who feels comfortable, who is welcomed to our table um, and who feels like this table is not for them um, is, is really tricky territory to navigate. And so um, this is part of why I love starting by kind of talking about the foods that are meaningful to us and the stories that they tell. Because once we start to sort of identify, you know, what are the foods that are meaningful to me? What are the foods that have shaped my experience of the world? What are the foods that were significant in my family or my church? Um, it helps us get into conversations about kind of the differences within that exist within community, starting by talking about the different foods that are meaningful to people or the different barriers that exist to us at the table, maybe food allergies or food 
restrictions that might keep some people from sitting at the same table as us. And that's an, one easy step in to figuring out how do we make a table that is um, more broadly welcoming to folks who might have a very sort of physical barrier to the table from us. Um, and then that can lead us further into questions of who who is not present in our community, who it might be really valuable to learn from, um, who might have, you know, life experience that can better understand what's happening in the city that we live in or the county that we live in, because their experience of it is different. And how can we sit at a table and engage in those conversations? Um, but I also think it's important to remember that not every table needs to be a safe place for everybody. Sometimes it is good to have a table that is um, a little bit more restricted so that you can get into deeper conversation with the people who is there. Um, you know, there, there are times when our dinner table needs to be just our family, that we need to have family conversation and, and the hard conversations that need to happen. And you're not going to do that when one of your kids has a friend over. And that's okay because this sort of restricted um, table in that moment allows for a kind of conversation and a kind of community that wouldn't be possible um, if it was a table open to anyone at that moment. And so I think our churches can learn from that as well, um, that there are times when, you know, we are to be open doors and, and hospitable and welcoming in those who do not feel um like the church might be a place for them and, and showing them this creative and beautiful and welcoming hospitality. Um, and then there might be moments when we say, hey, this is a meal to be shared among those who are proclaiming Jesus' death and resurrection. And there is something different that happens in that moment than happens in our broader hospitality of, of welcoming everyone in. And, and those kinds of differences of both welcome and restriction are both good and okay things. Jim is uh, on the text line um, right now joining us, Kendall, and he just, you know, wants to make the observation that you sure do have a great name for being a baker. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I've had people ask me all the time, is that your real name or did you make it up? <laughs> but I think it was the humor of God. Absolutely. We're talking with Kendall Vanderslice. She is the author, among other things, of Buy Bread Alone, a baker's reflections on hunger, longing, and the goodness of God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll return to this conversation in just a moment. As we consider the life of Jesus and the life of the first generation of Christians, reading here the book of Acts and all the letters to the Christians in the New Testament, we see people who like wake up, they come to see and understand and then receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And it changes everything. We see Christians then telling other people about the good news and inviting them to respond in repentance, be baptized, and follow Jesus. The movement of Christianity grows person by person and then exponentially as people walking in darkness receive the light of Christ and want others to know what they know and have what they have. Well, you and I are living in dark days. People need light. And Jesus is the light of the world today in the same way that he was the light of the world at the beginning of creation and at the first Christmas and throughout his life on earth and in his radiance now at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is the light of the world. So if you're walking in darkness of any kind today, I invite you to consider Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what it means to begin a relationship with Christ or to chat with someone about it, just text the word FAITH to 41224. In your hands, a little broken bread can satisfy this heart of mine. 
daily bread to the one who was whole, broken as the bread of life that made those who of us who are broken whole. Um, we're talking with Kendall Vanderslice. We're talking about the theology related to bread. We're talking uh, about the reality of daily bread and the community that happens around tables where bread is broken. We're talking about how Christ is made known among us in the breaking of the bread. Um, Kendall, you are really honest in in this book uh, about um, singleness. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to have a, a conversation with you. It's not lost on me that next week is Valentine's Day and the and the world is kind of obsessed with, uh, or at least this country, <laughs> kind of obsessed with that. So um, so let's talk about this, because I was thinking, you know, there's no reason that I couldn't have a very simple um, soup and bread dinner um, on Valentine's Day and invite everyone. Mm, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I for me, the journey to sort of embracing singleness as um I wouldn't necessarily say a gift from God, but the reality that um, that God has me living in um, and, and realizing that that is okay um, and that I can actually have a, a beautiful and delightful and full life in the midst of singleness came through living life deeply embedded in community. Um, the rhythms of life, kind of the mundane aspects of life shared with both fellow single friends, but also with married friends, with friends with kids. Um, and just being pulled into the rhythms of life altogether, um, that not only did that bring so much joy and fulfillment um, and kind of met my own need for companionship and friendship, um, but it also allowed me to kind of step in and um, aid my friends in their own moments of singleness or isolation or just exhaustion, being able to kind of be a presence in the lives of, um, you know, my friends with kids um, and being able to, you know, join them at sports team practices or just for, you know, um, I've had, I've joined friends for holiday meals that, that those kinds of things just bring so much more, I think, fulfillment um, to both of our lives when we sort of reimagine the boundaries of what it means to to live as family. And so, I think that's a great idea. That for Valentine's, make it a make it a bigger thing. I think our our love as a community in the church, um, you know, Jesus constantly talks about sort of reorienting our understandings of family. Um, and I think that that's just such a beautiful example of it. That that the love that we're sharing is this this love of community and and sharing our lives together. It's so fun. Again, we're talking with Kendall Vanderslice. The book is By Bread Alone, but you can connect with Kendall and lots of resources related to this topic at kendallvanderslice.com. You can also connect to all of her social media there. Um, Every single day uh, when people pray the Lord's Prayer, or at least when they pray it in the rhythm of somebody saying, let's pray together, as Jesus taught us to pray, one of the things we pray for is daily bread. And we do that in a world where Many, many people do not have enough to eat. Um, and I was thinking about that in the context of Isaiah 55 um, and this wonderful bidding invitation from God that we should come, all of us, those who are thirsty and have no bucket and those who are, um, you know, people of material wealth, but uh, nonetheless weary and heavy laden. Everyone who thirsts, everyone who hungers for, for righteousness is invited to come and eat and drink without money and without cost. But somehow, Kendall, that offends us. <laughs> so, somehow yeah. it offends it offends us. Can you just speak to that for a moment? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it it offends us because the the very basic reality is that we all share the same need, no matter what we have or what we don't have, um, no matter kind of how hard we've worked or how far we've made it in sort of our careers or our lives or our families, we all share this same basic need for bread or for food and sustenance, and we all share the same basic need for God. Um, and that is a humbling reality to know that we there's a lot we might be able to do on our own, but in the end of the day, if we do not have our daily bread and we do not have the daily sustenance provided by the Lord, then we have nothing. Yeah, we, we don't even have life, like, right? These yeah. are the the, yeah. the most basic um of of life's needs and somehow we're offended when we're reminded in humility that we share that in common yeah. with every person of every time and place including those who are um going to die today for lack yeah. of clean water and lack of the most basic um nutritional um sustenance and so uh you know I I want people to know that you deal with hard issues um and real issues um, in this conversation as well, and that is such a gift. Um, talk with us. Uh, I want you. I want you to take this opportunity. Just take a couple of minutes and um, and talk about Reverend Doctor Charles Big Daddy Vanderslice and what oh, yeah. what he what he would have loved about this book. Oh goodness! Well, so the the last time I saw him um, alive, he passed away just days before I turned in the final edits of this book. Um, and the last time I had seen him was while I was working on the manuscript. And he told me, um, "You got to make this book easier to read because your last one I just didn't understand." <laughs> Um, my first book was definitely more academic. It was based out of my academic research, and um, he's was a a brilliant. Uh, pastor and doctor. And he, near the end of his career, just, um, he loved the Lord with all his heart and wanted um, to see writing that was accessible and that drew others into the love of Christ. And so, um, you know, I, I thought of that, of that, uh, his exhortation all along as I was writing it of, you know, how do I write a book that not only, um, I love, you know, I love the the nerdy academic research involved in this work, but how do I also write it in a way that just shows the love of Christ in this very compelling and accessible way. Um, and so I think he would have loved that a lot. So one of the things that um, periodically I will say to someone who is, um, you know, trying to decide how many angels can dance on the head of a pen, <laughs> I will say to them, now, look, I can slice the theological pie just as thin as you want, but really mm -hmm. the world just needs to know there's pie. Yeah. And well, this so is... I, I feel like that's what you've done with this book. Like you have helped us to slice the common loaf in a way that mm. everybody can access. And I just wanted the opportunity to celebrate that as well. I think you have I think you have done well um, by that uh, by that calling. Well, thank you so um, much. I, you yeah, know, I feel like this bread. Accessible. Bread in many ways kind of does that on its own. It is at once this incredibly simple thing and also infinitely complex um, that it's flour, water, salt, and yeast, but it's also we can mix it and ferment it and bake it in so many different ways that it has this infinite complexity. And I think in that way, bread mirrors our faith that it is at once incredibly simple. We believe that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. And also, we can continue learning more about the nature and character of God and God's presence with us for our entire lives and still have more to learn. 
It's so much fun. Thank you so much. Um, this is just, it's a delight. Uh, I look forward to the day that maybe I could be in one of your workshops. It sounds like a whole lot of fun. You guys can connect with Kendall Vanderslice via her website and find out more about all she's up to. KendallVanderslice.com. The book we've been talking about today, By Bread Alone, A Baker's Reflections on Hunger, Longing, and the Goodness of God. Kendall, thank you so much for being with us on Mornings with Thank Carmen. you so much for having me, Carmen. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. We'll be right back. All right, our friend uh, Bob Castro, who's a regular listener to Mornings with Carmen and is often communicating with me via the text line at 877-933-2484, is actually in studio today. So, Bob, how's the show going so far? It's really fun watching Paul do all the things that Paul has to do to make this work. Mm-hmm. It's called, and- she, he's watching the sausage be made. <laughs> Most people don't like looking at that, but... It's so good. I'm so grateful for Paul. I mean, literally, uh, this would not happen without him. Um, so uh, what'd you think of the conversation with Kendall? It, it was great. I was, as I mentioned on the text line, I was I was taking notes because worship at the table is an idea that is taking hold. And like many things, I'm not really up to speed as much as I need to be. So I'm looking forward to following up on that. Yeah, she um she has a book prior to this one um that I mean I as she mentioned is you know maybe the more deeply theological one and it's called We Will Feast. Um and I I highly recommend that. It's uh rethinking dinner worship and the community of God. Um really uh it grows out of her her research uh you know as a as a graduate student. Um and it really does make that theological connection between eating and what we do as a community of believers around the table and how we can then translate that into what I would say would be, you know, a house church movement um, because she talks about dinner churches. Like what would that even look like? Exactly. So that's kind of, that's kind of a fun, uh, fun conversation as well. All right, uh, Bob, just to prepare you in the next hour, we are going to talk about um, what's going on in Turkey. We're going to talk about how people can help and respond to the just catastrophic uh, devastating earthquakes that took place there yesterday, right there on the border with uh, Syria. Um, and then we're going to talk about something that I know is a passion for you, and that is um, Gen Z. Like, how do we communicate the gospel to emerging generations? Like, what does it look like to um, deliver the good news to uh, to adolescent culture today? Um, why, why should we care about adolescents? Why should we care about young people, Bob? I get really frustrated when people in the church say that um, we need to have young people because they're the church of tomorrow. People that do this and focus on this are very clear that our young people are the church of today. They're not the church of tomorrow. And so we need to focus on this because they're with us now. And my passion is 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I want them to still be there. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to continue our conversations here on Mornings with Carmen. We're so glad you're here. You can chime in and join the conversation on the text line 877-933-2484. Stay tuned for Hour 2.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.